So, I think it's worth saying right here at the top that this is a true story about a very complicated series of events in my life, and I know that some of the very real people involved in those events aren't going to love what I have to say. But this is my story, and it's my podcast, and I'm trying to trim through some pretty thorny parts of my life by making work out of it. And I acknowledge that this isn't the whole story. So, there you go. You know, because any of these people involved are going to have their own perspective or their own take or their own whatever. And if they'd like to share that, then they're welcome to make their own fucking podcast. <laughs> um, I tried to be fair and relatively generous and definitely tried to focus on myself and my own issues because that's what this is about. <sighs> Some names and details were changed for the privacy of those who didn't want or weren't asked to be a part of my story. Okay. So, we're going to begin at the best place to begin, which is the end. I think that leads us to the final and most intense experience of the entire trip, and that was our rap party. And I've mm. told this story to many friends from my perspective, but you are the person who was closest to it with me. And I would love to know what you remember as much or as little as you feel comfortable talking about or as much as it's vivid. You don't remember it or you, you remember it very clear? Like I think I remember it very clearly. I remember the story that I tell. But I'm really skeptical of people's memories. You're always trying to add something or, 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 yeah, okay. So without telling you anything, I would love to know what you remember from that night and what happened mm -hmm. to us or to you i i didn't have any suspicion in my mind that he would gave us a drug and not telling outside but I wasn't wearing a jacket just standing there on the balcony chain smoking these shitty eastern European cigarettes I wanted to leave to go back inside and find wherever the fuck my parker was and get out of that apartment I wanted to get out of Latvia I wanted to go home I'm too old to be at some stranger's place at 4am I shouldn't be drinking this was supposed to be the most significant experience of my life this was supposed to change me from his penthouse you could see the whole city St. Peter's Church, the Dalgova River, basically every inch of Riga. And it was February, so everything was covered in white. But my eyes couldn't focus and I started to sway. 
Bursts of color, bursts of white, bursts of black begin interrupting my blurry vision. I look down at my hands and my eyes start tracking a kaleidoscope of fingertips. I could hear the blood rushing to my head. Suddenly, I, I was freezing. Like my body just realized that I'm standing outside. Like my body just realized that I'm in Riga and it's winter. Like my body just realized that I don't belong here. I focus and I try to turn around, shuffling my feet so that I could face the door behind me where the music was coming from. I slowly spin to discover a massive wall of sliding glass doors. My own distorted image reflected back at me in the moonlight. My eyes refocus to look through the glass. And I see Mariana, curled up inside her jacket, crying on the large leather sofa, looking right back at me. Behind her, Arena dances to the pounding bass, spinning around and around, wearing her French maid's outfit in those nine-inch heels. More bursts of color, more bursts of blackness. Then, from the room just beyond, I see him. He enters in from the darkness with a smile plastered across his face. His eyes lock to mine and he strides towards me wearing nothing but a large fur coat, his naked body and barrel chest exposed underneath. He slides the door open and a wall of sound washes over me, the frenetic chaos of Ukrainian house music. He licks his lips. What are you doing, man? Is everything okay? I... I don't know. I don't feel well. It's no problem, man. Come on. I'll fix you. He put his arm around my shoulder and guided me back inside. I, I, I think I need to go home. No, Tommy. No, no, no. Not tonight. Because tonight... We party! If you're trying to be an icon, then the icon becomes you. If you're trying to be a model, little cat walk over you. If you're trying to walk in straight shoes, then these shoes will bend you too. If you're trying to be a kid again, the kid will kidnap you. You know it's you. The guy you know, well, that's just you. And there is nothing you can do. Just like a door you can get through. When there is no one left to fool Don't go and drown in that old pool Don't kid yourself My name is Tommy Bertelson, and this is a podcast about dealing with my demons while making a horror movie in Latvia. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Monster. I hate being alone. I hate eating alone. I hate sleeping alone. I hate making this fucking podcast alone. I mean, I really, truly, absolutely hate being alone. On November 12th of 2016, I was alone. I was sitting in my car on my way up to Santa Barbara, and I hated it. But I also knew that in just a few short hours, I would be at my best friend Troyan's wedding, where I was going to be her best man. Sure. The rain pelting my car felt a little off-brand for the moment, but besides that, I was actually pumped because I felt ready to finally blend in with the guests that I knew would be attending this bona fide celebrity soiree. You see, Troy and Belisario and I went to college together. She's my closest collaborator, and along with three of our other best friends, we started a theater company and created what are still, to this day, my proudest achievements and fondest memories. 
Everything between me and her has always been platonic, but she's the closest thing that I've ever had to amuse. She's my partner, and I love her. Right out of college, she got cast in a TV show, and though we've continued our collaboration, her life has expanded to include a whole new cast of characters, with a healthy helping of the celebrity type. And typically, I feel intimidated around her new friends. While they're talking about launching Netflix shows and tentpole movies, I always feel like I'm sitting at the kids' table, ashamed of where I'm at in my career. And over the past few years at her parties, it's felt like I went from a starring role to a guest spot, and as stupid as that sounds, it's been really hard on me. But today, I felt like I finally belonged for two reasons. One, I was Troyne's best man, speech and all, and two... I knew that 24 hours after the ceremony, I was hopping on a plane and heading to Eastern Europe to direct my second movie. Sure, I'd secretly been wrestling with rewrites on this schlocky horror script, trying to reverse engineer a trope-filled text into high-class horror, yeah, but I was optimistic. Truly optimistic, because I had a secret weapon. I'd been struggling pretty deeply with the fact that the lead of my movie, who was already attached when I got hired and myself, didn't exactly see eye-to-eye creatively, so... I'd asked Troyan to come aboard and join me for the ride, to take on the other starring role and help save me in this movie, to save my career, really, because I knew that with her by my side, I'd have the confidence I needed to crack the code in the script, and I could count on her to hold things down in front of the camera. I mean, I always feel like when I'm surrounded by my friends, I can fucking do anything. Sure, she hadn't officially said yes yet, but I knew that she was just overwhelmed with planning the wedding and everything else that entailed. And at the end of the day, she'd have my back. So yeah, I was driving alone at the moment. And I may hate being alone. But I was speeding down the 101 as Los Angeles shrunk in my rear view. And the best weekend of my life was ahead. It was time to celebrate my best friend and our future together. So I cranked up the radio and settled in for the ride. later as I got off the freeway and checked my GPS, I noticed that somehow I'd missed a message from earlier. It was from Troyan. So I checked it as it began winding down some dark Central California rural roads. You have one unheard message. First unheard message sent at 7.15pm. Hey, Tommy, it's Troyan. Um, I got your message and I wanted to say obviously thank you so much for considering me for the role and you know I would do anything to work with you you are my favorite director um I just kind of feel like with the timing of it all with the honeymoon and uh everything is just not going to be possible I'm a little bit worried that I wouldn't be able to fully be there mentally with you but I do really think that it'll be an amazing moment for you to build something new and to try something new and to be with a whole new crew of people um and and to do this one on your own maybe there's a reason that it's not you know the right timing um but i love you i'm so so excited to see you and uh 
have you be a part of this ceremony. Uh, I can't believe that this is happening. Oh yeah, I can't believe All right, this I love you. Uh, give me a call back if you want to talk more. Bye. God damn it. As I approached the estate nestled between the rolling coastal mountains where the wedding was going to take place, the news settled in. I didn't know what to do. I pulled up to the massive main house and parked around the side. I was confused, I was angry, and whether it's fair or not, I felt betrayed. But I didn't want to bring those bad vibes into my friend on her wedding weekend, so I hopped out and smoked a cigarette beneath the overhang, just to get my head straight. Fucking bullshit. From here, I could see into the backyard. A well-manicured main lawn that seemed to extend forever, flanked by dozens of enormous Mandalay fig trees, each at least 40 feet tall. On the grass behind the house was where all the guests were going to stay, including me. One hundred large clamping tents, each set up with a four-post bed, rawhide rug, and western blankets. The epitome of bohemian wealth. Even after dark on the day before the event, the whole thing was lit up like a music festival. But none of the guests were here tonight, just the wedding party, so it looked like a fantastical ghost town. A very, very expensive ghost town. I snubbed my cigarette and walked inside to find Troyne's family and closest friends gathered around playing board games, laughing, and of course, drinking bottles and bottles of pricey champagne. I think right now is probably a good time to mention that I'm sober, and likely some particular brand of alcoholic, but we'll get to that later. That night I tried to play it cool, bury my pain and raging anxiety, but it was all too much, so I dipped out early. I ran through the drizzle to my tent and bunked down for the night. Maybe things look different tomorrow. Maybe I could convince her to change her mind. At least I hoped. I woke up the next morning and peeked my head out of the tent to find the property was teeming with guests. The rain had left and was replaced by clear skies and warm winter sun washing every inch of the lush surroundings. The estate was set up like some satellite Coachella installation. It was absolutely insane. Just off from the tent encampment were these unbelievable outdoor showers planted in the middle of a citrus orchard, teak planks and covered changing canopies complete with Turkish towels. There were games, endless food, and more beautiful people than you could stand to look at. Oh yeah. Did I mention that there was a string quartet playing live all day? crazy. I ducked back into the tent and began getting ready, and as the rain had left, so did any lingering resentment that I may have had about my friend turning me down. I didn't want her doing something that wasn't right, and I would never hold that against her, but my frustration was replaced by the usual crippling anxiety, and an immediate awareness that I would be spending the rest of my day talking to people that I knew were more successful than me, who were happier than me, who were more important to my friend than me. And to make matters worse, I had yet to finish my speech. My thought was that by coming here and surrounding myself in the event, I would be inspired and know what to say. But now I was stuck with this ever-present insecurity and somehow needed to find private time to decide what the fuck I was going to do. As I wandered through the crowd to make my way toward the outdoor showers, I steadied myself for one fucking ego kill of a day. And it was exactly that. We've got a lot more story to get to, so I don't think it's really necessary to waste our time here with much more self-flagellation. 
But let's just say that this party felt like a professionally engineered Instagram feed scrolling by, a barrage of unending images of unreal-seeming people. I was drowning in a series of conversations that were overflowing with everything that I don't have and think that I want. This is my wife. Have you met my agent? What's up with that movie you're doing with Troyan? Have you watched my show? Did you catch my movie? What else are you working on lately? Him, her, him, her, him, her, me. As the sun went down, they had the perfect wedding ceremony. We all celebrated and walked down to the beach to take pictures. They popped champagne and ran into the ocean. Everybody clapped and smiled. I was beat, and I still didn't know what I was going to say. I was actually so anxious that I left the pictures early to come back and rehearse my speech alone inside the bridal barn, where we'd gotten ready and dressed before the wedding. It was quiet inside. Empty now except for the half-finished bottles of champagne that were screaming loud at me. I wondered if a glass might calm my nerves. Even poured one just to see how it felt. Watching the bubbles climb the edges of the glass and softly pop once they hit the air. Nobody'd know. But my alcoholic flirtation was interrupted when some of the more adventurous hangers-on burst in early before dinner. I left and sat outside at the tables, waiting for everybody to arrive back from the reception down by the beach. I wandered alone under giant oaks and weeping willows while the servers finished arranging the scene. Three dozen gorgeous vintage tables, set for twenty people apiece. Glittering silverware, tasteful ivory plates, hanging iron lanterns, I know this is what people say about weddings, but I mean it, really. It looked like a fairy tale. Eventually, everybody arrived and we began to eat while the band played classical versions of Troy and Patrick's favorite contemporary pop hits. I was seated at a table close to the front with all of Troy's pre-Patrick friends, my best friends. We all laughed and ate. And after some mingling, the speeches began, parents first, then the wedding party, person after person, stepping to the stage to pay tribute to the golden couple. But I looked around, and I realized that I didn't know any of these people. Again, feeling like a tourist in somebody else's life, a tourist in my own friend's life. Since college, she'd created a whole other world, and it's like, I never even noticed how happy this new life made her. Maybe I never wanted to notice. When it was my turn, I stood up and I made my way through the crowd, navigating to the front, standing right beside the bride and groom. Here I was, about to give a speech about my best friend to a colossal crowd of strangers. This is not how I had imagined that today would be. But here I was. So I looked around. I took a deep breath. And I dove in. <clears throat> hey, my name is Tommy Bertelson. I'm a friend and creative collaborator of the bride. 
We've all gathered here enjoying some of the finest things that life has to offer. Food, friends, flora, fauna, magic mushrooms, and naked saunas. Troyan, Patrick, I feel so good to be here with you. For some people, it seems like everything comes easy. They're beautiful, they're smart, they're successful. The finer shades of life just seem to fall on them. And from the outside, people must think that about Troyan, because she has become such an incredible woman. But I know a secret about this person. I've grown closer to Troyan every year that I've ever known her. Our relationship is rugged and round and has been built over time. We weren't immediately best pals. It's taken 10 years to get here. I honestly can't tell you if I even liked her that much in the beginning. Too pretty, seemed a little arrogant, smoked Cartier cigarettes for God's sake. I once had a conversation with Troy in freshman year at college behind USC's Bing Theater after rehearsal for a disastrous production of a Shakespeare problem play. I played the clown. Troyan was, of course, the ingenue. She already fancied herself a jet-setting intellectual. And during one of our first-ever talks, she said some shit to me like, I consider New York my second home. Half my heart will always live there. That type of talk doesn't go over well with a white trash redhead from San Diego just learning the creative ropes of life. So maybe our friendship wasn't immediately mapped in the stars. But I was drawn to her. And soon, I learned the secret about this person. Troyan was in the first scene that I ever directed, an assignment for a college class, out of gas on Lover's Leap. It was her and Shane. She's been in everything I've ever made. People say that we work well together. And I like it when people say that. She inspires me. She challenges me. She pisses me off. Through our friendship, our creative collaborations, late night Skypes, and sometimes hikes, I learned the secret that only people close to her can really understand. The secret about Troyan is this. Despite what it seems, things don't come easy to her. She's been blessed with an intellect, okay looks, and a wonderful family. None of that can be denied. But she struggles with demons, insecurities, a complicated psyche, a sexist industry, and bizarre external expectations. She's not great at her job because her roles or her writing come easy to her. She works hard for what she has. <clears throat> she works hard not just to attain things, but to maintain things. She's consistent. She's dependable. And I have more faith in her than anybody else on this planet. You can't trust the pieces of life that come easy, but you can trust the work because the work will last. You don't maintain a seven-year relationship across the continent without putting in work. Just imagine for a moment what that must be like. She's made sacrifices for this relationship. I've seen them. And I'm so proud of the grace and integrity with which she lives. In an era and an industry that functions on the immediate and the temporal, this young woman is a fine example of what a person should be. Troy Belisario is built to last. And with those words, I almost lost it.
I mean, I knew that I loved my friend, that I was speaking the truth, that I was celebrating somebody I had looked up to and depended on. But I didn't realize until that exact moment that I was also letting her go. Temporary frightens me. So does change. And in watching two friends endeavor to do something as difficult as build a life together, I find refuge and confidence in knowing my friend's secret. Because when times are hard, I know that this secret can save them. I know that the incredible human we see before us is not a product of luck, of fortune, or of predefined fate. Troyan is not just special. She's not just blessed. This woman works. She fears no challenge, and she's built to last. To my collaborator, to my friend, to my partner and her new husband, may we, your friends and family, follow your lead and put in the work to support you on this journey. May we all stand steadfast and help you find your way toward the fields of forever. Troyan, Patrick, may you last. I've always been confused by the crossover between work and life, between friendship and love, between the past and the future. But at that moment, looking into my best friend's eyes on her wedding day, I knew I was happy for her. But I also knew that I was tired of being a tourist in other people's lives. It's like for the first time I realized that I had been defined both personally and professionally by the people who surrounded me. And I knew that I'd been lucky to have that. But I was missing something very fundamental. I decided that I had my whole future ahead of me. I was going to take the opportunity of this movie, of this trip, of this adventure, and start living the life that I'd always dreamed of. And I was going to find something for myself. At 4 a.m., everybody was still dancing, high on life and every other conceivable substance, lifting Chorin and Patrick over their heads while dancing to LCD's sound system. I grabbed a water and I walked away from the tent as the sun began rising. I got into my car and headed for LAX while the thumping bass and boisterous laughter of her wedding faded behind me, muffled by the citrus groves and dispersed into the open sky, swallowed by the cold morning sun. I was off to Latvia and to meet the new me. What I didn't realize while I lay sleeping on that plane is that halfway around the world there was a man who was waiting for me. He was walking down the medieval cobblestone streets of Riga, flanked by bodyguards, armed with automatic weapons. He was a big man, with a big belly and a big beard and small dark eyes. He was a Central Asian business magnate, a mobster and he would become my friend and the most dangerous figure in my life.
You have one unheard message. First unheard message. Hi, sweetheart. It's Mom. I was hoping to talk to you before you left. I thought you were going to give me a call, but you're probably in the air now. That's okay. I'm I'm sure you, I know you have a lot going on, sweetie. Um, I saw pictures of the wedding on Instagram, and it was just absolutely incredible, absolutely beautiful. But you, you're the one that looked handsome in the suit. You, you in the tuxedo. What, what a, what, what a handsome man you are. I know, you know, there was a lot of drinking going on, and it's been nine months now for you not drinking, and I know that was probably rough. And I just want to make sure that you're okay with that. And I also want you to know how proud I am of you. It's a huge accomplishment, accomplishment, my sweetheart. I love you so much. And I'm going to miss you, and I know you're going to do great. This is your second movie, sweetheart. My big director, my Mr. Director, my Mr. Tommy. I love you a lot, sweetheart. Talk to you later. Bye, bye. End of message. To delete this message, press 7. Message deleted. After I landed at the airport, I grabbed my bags and made my way outside to find the driver. All the production company had told me was that I'd be picked up by one of Destan's guys, and that he'd be waiting for me. You see, Destan was one of our film's financiers, and at the time, I didn't know anything about him. I mean, besides the fact that he was some businessman from Central Asia who had enough extra cash to finance a film. At the gate, I saw a young guy with a shaved head and scars across his neck holding a sign that said Bertelson, so I waved him down. He didn't say much, just grabbed my bags and guided me to a black SUV with tinted windows. Hello. Oh, yeah. 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 He did ask me one question, though. Hey, Tommy. Do you like rap music? Uh. Yeah. The first time I met Destan was over dinner at a small Italian restaurant just outside the old city in Riga. I had arrived in Latvia after 24 hours of travel and it was freezing outside. I walked into an intimate candlelit atmosphere, totally empty except for a man in a black tracksuit standing next to the door. He eyed me and nodded toward the back of the room where I could hear music echoing off the walls. I made my way back and found 15 folks gathered around a table and one empty seat next to a big man with a big belly and a big beard and small dark eyes. This was Destan. Welcome, Tommy. Sit down. He introduced me to everyone. An eclectic Eastern European production team made up of Russians, Latvians, Ukrainians, and Cossacks. And after all the casual pleasantries, without even asking, Destan poured me a shot of vodka. I watched the clear liquid shake and settle flat into the glass as the diluted but unmistakable smell of ethanol floated up and stung my nostrils. Then Destan leaned in and whispered to me, You'll give speech now. I thought he was joking at first, so I smiled at him, but he just watched me and waited. Obviously, I thought it was a weird first request and I didn't prepare anything, but I don't know how things work here and I was trying to make a good first impression. This is my new boss. This is my team. I'm the director and I gotta play the part. If there's one thing that I can do, it's talk to people. So, instead of declining and shrinking away, I stood up. 
and I just started talking. <clears throat> hey guys. Privet. It's great to finally meet everybody. Um, Destan asked me to say a few words, so... We're here to work. You know, I, I believe that in order to do our best work, we gotta have a genuine level of trust in each of our collaborators. In my experience, sometimes we're led to that trust by an almost unreasonable amount of optimism and enthusiasm. At least I know I am. Because I think trust can be instinctive and immediate. Other times we're guided by a healthy amount of skepticism, while trust grows through a series of trials and tribulations. But to me, the path doesn't matter. Because the destination is the same. Connectedness and confident collaboration. I'm looking forward to working with each of you personally and mapping our own individual timelines of trust. But tonight, I want to begin here by committing my trust to each of you. And to genuinely thank you for the trust that you've placed in me, a stranger, to come all the way out here to your country and direct this movie. So thank you. At that point, I'd been sober for nine months. So without even thinking, I poured myself a small cup of sparkling water and lifted it toward my team. But then Distan leaned into me again. Do you not like vodka, Tommy? I just, uh, I don't really drink that often anymore. Oh, but this is very special vodka, Tommy. Drink. Um, what's the problem? Uh, there is no problem. He eyed me carefully and placed his hand on my shoulder. Tommy, if you don't drink, how can I trust you? The last time I drank, it was a warm night last year in Malibu. My friend Cameron had rented a house on the beach for his birthday. I remember everybody dancing in the waves, taking their clothes off and running off into the ocean. I saw my ex grabbing the hand of my friend and disappearing under the water. I remember walking upstairs and drinking shot after shot after shot, blowing lines in the bathroom. Stepping outside into the courtyard and seeing the flames. A gas fireplace that stretched eight feet long. I bet I could walk over that. I'm gonna walk over that. Addicted to the attention and the excitement. I stepped up out onto the cement that surrounded the fire, a blur of dozens of faces all around me. Unsure if they were terrified or encouraging, everything feels like a wave of momentum at a moment like this. No way to stop, like a car crash in slow motion. The flames lick the edges, 
I look over at my ex, and I think she smiles. I feel the rush of cocaine, and it feels good. I can do anything. I'm not invisible. I'm invincible. I'm confused. I lift my left foot up, and I step onto the coals. My skin sears, and the smell of flesh fills the air. I watch her scream. Then somebody else screams, and now everybody's in a panic, yelling at me, but I look down at my feet, and I can feel the pain, but I can't move. I'm just standing there as the, as the flames lick my legs and my feet burst into flames. This is very special vodka, Tommy. Come on, drink. I look into Destan's eyes, his hand still on my shoulder, smile plastered across his face. His beard's only inches from my skin. I can feel his breath on me, almost taste it. Yeah, I could have just said no, but I didn't. I didn't because I felt challenged. So I did what I always do when I feel challenged. I step up to the plate without a helmet on and I swing as hard as I can. I didn't just take a sip. I filled a water cup halfway up with what must have been four shots of vodka and lifted it. Hands slightly shaking as the alcohol licked the edges of my glass. Looking at nine months of sobriety. I was in a new country. I was in over my head. I was insecure and confused. But there was something so warm about the smile on my new enigmatic financier's face. Something so comforting about the idea of warm alcohol flowing through my veins. I thought maybe here it would be different. Maybe I just needed to relax and embrace what was coming. This is very special vodka, Tommy. I figured, fuck it. What's the worst that could happen, right? It's just one drink. Looking back, I've often wondered what would have happened if I'd refused it. How different would my life be today if I'd drawn a line that night between me and Distan? Was this the moment? Was this somehow the first decision that began a chain of events that would eventually end up with me locked in that room, incapacitated and terrified? I pressed the glass to my lips with a smile and swallowed. To trust. Everybody lifted their cups and called out in various languages. Then Destan leaned into me. Tommy, this was a very good speech. I think I like you very much. And for whatever reason, from that moment on, everybody else disappeared. And Destan only wanted to talk to me. Эти деньги в моих пальцах обещаний Мы дали той соки дыхание, пока ты ебалы уши Ты смотришь на нас и ты хочешь быть с нами, но нам из вас никто не нужен My new boss took me on a ride that night, while his driver guided us around the serpentine streets of Riga, past 13th century cathedrals and other medieval monuments. 
famous Art Nouveau architecture that dominates a skyline planted right beside austere Soviet structures and modern glass buildings. Past the massive unfinished towers at the edges of the city, a three-dimensional historical record of eras and foreign occupations. And while Destan showed me his city, he probed me with questions about purpose, philosophy, and art. I feel like this is the beginning of something, Tommy. Can you feel it? Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm going to make you a great movie, man, I promise. I know this, Tommy. I can see this in your eyes. Huh? You're a wolf. Like me. It was all so surreal to be enveloped in this environment and then immediately taken in like this. And listen, I was excited, wouldn't you be? Our financier wasn't some stodgy studio. It was a guy, this guy, a mysterious foreign businessman with bodyguards. I was there to make a movie, but it honestly felt like I was living in a movie. Destan was smart. He was powerful. And he liked me. After a few bottles of wine, a few packs of cigarettes, and a full tour of his city, Destan dropped me back off at my place. I'm leaving for Bulgaria for two days, but I'll be back. If you want something, you tell me, huh? You are my director. Anything you need, Tommy, I will fix you. I mean this. Alright, thanks to son. You know, we come into each other's lives with a purpose and we change each other. How have you changed today? Think about this, huh? Good night. Good night. Look, I know what you're probably thinking and yeah, I'm not an idiot. I noticed that he had a very dangerous guy kind of vibe about him. And I was curious where all his money came from, and I heard rumors, whispers around the office. But mostly, my producers just seemed really excited that he'd taken a shine to me. And so I felt excited by that, too. The next few weeks flew by, meeting with my designers, location scouting, hiring crew, and rewriting our very, very problematic script. But I was back on my game. I was building my new life, and everything was going according to plan. Let's pause here and back up for a minute. Before I even left for Latvia, I took a month-long trip to New York City. It was stateside pre-production. I stayed in Brooklyn and slept on the couch with my therapist and her husband, who also happened to be the parents of my really close friend, Peter. While I was there, I was working out our shooting schedule, tinkering with the script, and building out the shot list with our DP, Igor Kropotov, who also happens to be my really good friend. I basically only work with my best friends. We'd already started crewing up and hired most of our department heads, local or regional hires who were introduced to me through a series of Skype sessions and FaceTime phone calls where I struggled to break through language barriers and glitchy signals. We had a talented costumer based right there in Latvia, special effects and a makeup artist from neighboring Lithuania, and a brilliant Croatian production designer named Mediana Radicek. Now, it's true. I had met Mediana via Skype before heading out to Latvia, so we'd seen each other face-to-face in a manner of speaking, and yes, I did happen to notice that she had the smoky eyes, sultry lips, and high cheekbones of some sort of Eastern European bond babe, but I swear to God, it had nothing to do with why I hired her. She's great at her job. She's trained as an architect, made a brilliant and deeply detailed vision deck before we even had the interview, and her cinematic references were obscure, on-point, and special. I didn't hire Mediana because I had any ulterior motives, okay? In my decade-long career in theater and film, I've never even had a single dalliance that flirted with crossing the line. Not one. It's just not my style. 
I remember before you met her, you actually talked about your first Skype call with her, and you were describing, like, the vibe between you guys. I think you were basically saying, like, this is my future wifey. No. <laughs> kind of. Did I? Yeah. Wow. Because I claimed that my intentions were only honorable. <laughs> and well, I, maybe and I'm, then, maybe I'm conflating the timeline, yeah. but I, I do feel like you have well, fallen in love with her. Too. That is my very good friend, Bryce, who you'll meet more later. He's a collaborator and friend of mine. Unfortunately, he's not conflating the timelines. He's right. So let's correct the record. I had told a few of my closest friends that I was very intrigued by our production designer, even though we had never met in person. But it was really not the first thing on my mind because I was focused on the work at the time. And besides, when I was in Brooklyn, I'd finally won over somebody that I'll call Olivia, the talented, tall, New York-based photographer who trains at a fucking boxing gym, for God's sake. We'd had a seven-year flirtation that finally came to fruition just weeks before I left for Latvia. I mean, I'd almost bought Olivia a ticket to Troyne's wedding, but I didn't want to rush things, so instead I bought her a ticket to Eastern Europe for New Year's. A little much? Yeah. Maybe. But how often am I traveling the world and making a movie? If there's a few good ways to fall in love, that's definitely one of them. Anyway, point being, yes, I noticed that Mariana was gorgeous in the same way that you notice anything else. It was just a fact. But once I was on the ground in Latvia, that casual interpretation of our situation evaporated within five seconds of meeting her. Have you ever walked into a room, made eye contact with somebody, and immediately known you were both thinking the exact same thing? We have this insane chemistry. I mean, she'll tell you. It was very, very strange connection because it doesn't happen every day. I think that everything clicked. She had this aura all around her, and I don't use that word. I don't even really know what that word means, but whatever it means, she definitely had it. There was this gravity to her, and she's absolutely the smartest person that I've ever spoken to in real life. Zero exaggeration. She knew more about everything than me. And not like I'm some genius and that's such a high bar, but I mean everything. Even the things that I'm supposed to be deeply educated or experienced in, not just her field, not just architecture or painting or design. I mean, she knew more about theater and American politics. She knew more about state politics in California than I did. And I listened to a lot of podcasts. And to me, there's something undeniably attractive about talking to somebody who's so much smarter than you. It's stimulating. It's challenging. It's fucking hot. And this person, she thought I was stimulating and I could feel it. And more than just her intellect, there was something else. It's like she could read my mind. She called herself a witch. I am a young witch, she'd always say. After location scouts and production meetings, we'd grab dinner. We'd go for walks and watch live jazz shows at Le Trompette, a small smoky bar that was nestled right up against the Dalgava River. And afterwards, we'd walk home together, because our apartments were pretty close to each other in the old town. And the feeling that was growing started to get harder and harder to deny. I mean, it was the most romantic environment fucking imaginable. Okay, in this period, I started to feel attraction to you, but I'm also like trying to, to not to feel that, you know, because I didn't want to respond to that to that attraction and it was very difficult because we were working together and it was very hard for me to accept that I'm starting to like you very much. I mean, I could be in your presence, okay? We could work and everything, but I started to feel this this 
this warm, I think, and I'm starting to feel like that I like to be near you and very near you. And then we started to like going out together. And then that night we went to this jazz club and we were, I think, walking through the city by, by the by the river. I think we were walking by the river and then we discovered that jazz club and then we were just drinking and <laughs> and we were just talking and hanging around and talking about our, our job. But that I mean that that night we also felt like that we discovering some attraction to each other and the level of that attraction I think was very high that night. After a long day of work and an extended night of jazz and dancing afterwards, we got to her door, and Mariana invited me up. Our heads were heavy and our words slurred a bit from all the black balsam we'd been drinking. It's a local herby alcohol. Can I show you something? What do you want to show me? I want to show you video. Come up. If I'm honest, I didn't hesitate. I just nodded and walked through the door. Once we were upstairs, I lit a cigarette and sat leaning halfway out her window and waited as she pulled the video up on her laptop. Come here. We sat on the floor. This is beautiful, and I thought of you. She pressed play, and I immediately recognized the music and the images. You're actually listening to the sound right now. The video she showed me is called Mortal Engine. It's from a 2010 performance piece by an obscure Australian avant-garde dance company called Chunky Move. It's my favorite piece of video art ever created, and nobody knows about this video. Well, very few people know about this video, and even weirder, I've shared this at the beginning of every significant relationship that I've ever had. All of my multi-year girlfriends, any two-month tryst, not as like a move, but as a test to see if we're on the same page. And here I was, sitting with Mariana and having her show it to me. I couldn't believe it. I didn't understand. I immediately began racking my brain to try and figure out how the hell she knew. I actually considered whether or not she'd somehow hacked my browser history. How did you know that I love this? Because I know you. Listen, come here. She leaned in towards me, and our lips met for the first time, and it was the best kiss that I've ever had. We devoured each other, sucking in air from the other person's mouth. Have you ever done that? We were gripping onto each other's clothes, each other's bodies. It was fucking crazy, but I, I came to my senses and I pulled away. I, I, I can't do this. I, I really can't do this. She was so calm. Why? Because we're working together and it'll get too complicated. It's it's just, I, I can tell and I know that this is a really bad idea, don't you think? I'm a professional. Are you not a professional? I am. But, but I, I don't think that's how it works. It'll get away from us and I just... The truth is I don't trust myself. Do you trust me? Because I know you, dummy. And we were kissing again. But then I stop and I confess. And there's another person. And she's not my girlfriend, so this isn't technically cheating. But before I came here, we made plans for her to visit for New Year's. And I just can't be doing both of these things at the same time. It's not 
this this isn't how it should be. This just isn't right. So cancel her. Tell her not to come. I can't. I can't do that. Do you not feel this? No, I do. I do feel this, but I can't. I just can't right now. I should go. She was still so calm. And then she looked at me dead in the eye, quiet, and somehow kind when she said, Okay. It's okay, Tommy. But when you are fucking her, just know that you will be thinking of me. She kissed me on the cheek and handed me my cigarettes. I'm going to bed. I see you tomorrow. She walked into her bedroom and quietly closed the door. I walked downstairs, out the door, and into the snowy cobblestone streets. I knew what I was doing. A better man would have would have been clear. A better man wouldn't have kissed her, wouldn't have led her on. I created that vibe over the course of weeks because she was right. I felt it too. And I convinced myself that if I didn't say anything that I couldn't stand by, that I wasn't lying. If, if I was honest about my situation with these people, then I wasn't cheating. But what I was really doing was just being reckless and selfish because the affection, the attention made me feel good, getting what I wanted and just articulating the complicated circumstances that surrounded me at the moment. And it's true. The circumstances were complicated and so were my feelings, but maybe I didn't lie, but I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly what I was doing. And no, I wouldn't do anything to Mediana to intentionally hurt her, not really. But intentional or not, the decisions that we make affect everybody around us. And if you're not thinking about that, and I certainly wasn't at the time, then you are playing a very dangerous game. And because of that, Later on in our relationship, she'd get wrapped up into something that she didn't deserve, something that she didn't choose, something awful. Because as I got dragged further into Destan's world, so did the people around me. I saw that he's, he was always like um, calling you to go somewhere with him, some, some kind of location to, to go and... Uh, relaxed with him I uh, realized that he was very like mm, he liked you I think and he wanted to hang around with you I I didn't ask you uh, like what kind of relationship really you had I, I can only say that I started to notice that you were not comfortable um, when he was around because he will like drag you somewhere, you know, with him. Hello? Tommy. Where are you, man? Um, almost home right now. I'm just walking. Okay. I'll pick you up in 10 minutes. I've got something I want to show you. Любопытно, что ты говоришь. 